to stand with me and uh, if you open your Bibles with me or your phone to the gospel according to John chapter 14, verse 1 through 6, we will read this together. Starting in verse 1. Verse 1. And that let your hearts be troubled, believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you? I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know where the way where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do know, know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Let's pray together. God, our Father, we thank you that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You are our Savior, our Messiah, our King, our friend. God, in this day where we mourn and, and we grieve, uh, we take comfort because of the hope that we have in your Son and the hope that we have, O oh Lord, in your Word. God, we are um, hurting, and yet, Lord, and our, when our hearts are troubled, you have asked us, O oh Lord, to believe also in you. So, Lord Jesus, as we uh, look at your Word, God, may this sermon, God, be a source of comfort for us, um, and maybe a source of encouragement and a challenge for us, O oh Lord, to go out there and make disciples of all nations. And God, I, I pray that you hide your servant behind your cross, and I pray for our church that you will give us, O oh Lord, listening hearts, O oh Lord, that this word, your word will transform us, O oh Lord, to the likeness of your son, Jesus. And this we pray in your name. Amen. Our message, uh, the title of our message this morning is Hope for troubled heart. Nothing is more shocking or emotional than the death of a loved one. Facing the death of someone you love, a child, a spouse, a parent, a close friend is one of life's most difficult experiences. For many of us, our head is still spinning with so much thoughts and feelings and experiences. It's hard to grasp that we have Seen the last of the last visit or the last conversation, the last meal, the last holiday of your loved one. Our, our mind is still flooded with things we wish we had said or done. We, we want to say, I love you one more time, and you want to hear it back said to you. We have a warehouse of memories filled with joy. None of us feel just ready to say goodbye or, or deal with the grief. But, but there's hope for a troubled heart because this is never the end. Death will never have the last word. Let me set up our passage this morning. In John chapter 14, verse 1, Jesus said, let, let, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. But by the time we arrive to chapter 14, Jesus had lived his life fully for three years. Three years of ministry, and now we find him in the final week of his life. Actually, in the last night of his life. He'll be crucified on Friday, which is the next day. As the sacrificial lamb who takes away the sins of the world. Um, and, and it's also the very time the Jews will offer their own sacrificial lamb on the Passover. We find him, however, in the upper room on Thursday night. John 14, with his disciples, where he gives his final words to his men. It has been an amazing week, starting with a triumphant entry where they hailed him as the Messiah. But by Friday, they'll be going to scream for his blood. Crucify him. So we find him with his disciples who love him, who believe in him, but are deeply, deeply confused and shocked and disappointed. And compounded with that is the ugliness of their own selfish ambitions. For three years, they have been fighting for fame and for power. Now their entire sense of what was supposed to happen has vanished. Why? B because the Lord continues to tell them he is leaving. He's going to die. This was the elephant in the room. Through that entire time on that Thursday night, this is the only thing that the, his men were thinking about. 
And to add to that confusion, he had even said that among them there was a traitor who was going to betray him into the hands of his enemies. And there was a coward who was going to deny him. So while they offer him no comfort to what he was about to suffer, he then offers them comfort, telling them, let not your hearts be troubled. You know, this reminds me of what Paul said in Philippians 4, 6. Do not be anxious for anything. Which this word, this phrase carries the idea of not letting our hearts be overcome with turmoil. Or be intimidated by any situation. Jesus is calling them to, to place their trust or their belief in God which is the indicative form of the verb, and, and the belief in himself, the imperative form of the verb. He was asking them to have the same faith in him as they have for God the Father. They had to trust that that trust will be built on believing that he was who he said he was. But before we go to our text, I just want to stop for a moment to ask you, what is troubling your hearts today? Our hearts are heavy. But I don't want our hearts to stay there. The Bible tells us, let not your hearts be troubled. We can't stay in that troubled heart. I want us to look at three things that Jesus wants us to put our faith and our trust in for our troubled hearts. Number one, believe that Jesus is preparing an eternal place for you. Verse two, in my Father's house, are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, the fact is that unless Jesus returns in our lifetime, we're all going to die. The psalmist Peter says in, the, in his epistle, we're like grass and, and that withers. We're like flowers, like withers. We're here one moment, and, and James chapter 4 tells us that we're gone. We're just like a mist. See, but the question is not whether we will die, but what awaits us on the other side of the grave. Everybody has an opinion from the atheist who says there's nothing beyond. To the universal who says who God is waiting to receive with all open arms. This universe is theology that says that Osama bin Laden, out of Hitler, Mussolini are with Billy Graham. It's not true. But anybody other than Jesus who gives you an opinion about death is giving you a wrong one. You can't afford to get this one wrong. One of the most effective guard against having a troubled heart is to believe that Jesus Christ is preparing an eternal place for us at his father's house. Sometimes heaven is called a country because of its vastness. Sometimes heaven is called a city because of its people. Sometimes it's called a kingdom because of its ruler and order. Sometimes it's called a paradise because of its beauty. Sometimes it's called a house because of its family. This is the Father's house, or this is going to be our house. A story is told about a barefoot little girl who walked across the grass of a housing project. She was on her way to vacation Bible school. She had a dream, and she thought she could make her dream come true because one of the teachers who taught the group and promised to give her a little book that she could read. It was a wordless book. And, and she had a dream about that book with its colored pages and its little class that neatly snapshot. She encouraged her older brother and sister to repeat over and over again the words that went with those pages. The, the black, who says about Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. To, John, to the red, John 3, 16. For, for God so loved the world. The white in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 16. And then very significantly, the gold, which is John 14, verse 2 and 3. That day she recited her verses, received her book, and sang with the rest of the children. Once my heart was black as sin until the Savior came in. His precious blood I know has washed it wider than snow. And in a world, I'm told, I'll walk the streets of gold. Wonderful, wonderful day. He washed my sins away. She told her parents that it was the gold page, the promise of an eternal dwelling that caught hold of her 
and drew her to Christ. In ancient times, uh, in, the, in the times of Jesus, fathers had a house and, and their children were raised in the house. And, and when they got married, they built in a, an addition to the house. And, and the father's house kept getting larger and larger and larger and larger as apartments were built for every married child in that family. And that's the father's house. He, he got larger and larger and larger. The father's house is very large. And, and there are many, many dwelling places, as, John, as Jesus tells us. So let me make it simple for you. There is no need for a map of heaven because there is just one house. With many additions. In, in Jewish times, um, there's what they call a betrothal period. Where the groom or, or where the parents will come to an agreement. Uh, a dowry is placed. Right? So they're practically married already. But it took this one year, not just to prepare the bride to leave her family. Not only to prepare herself, but for the groom to prepare a home. And in this house, in, this, in his father's house, he is building an addition. So that when, when the wedding is set and, and, and the bride gets to go home to this added house. So that's what I want us to think of when we think about heaven. There is not a mansion out there in some country that you will be in. Right? There's just many, many rooms. And it's a big, big house. I heard uh, as a kid in Sunday school... That if you don't live the right kind of life, you're going to end up in the boonies. There's no boonies in heaven. And there's no out of town in some low-level track made out of pine boards because that's all you've set up into heaven for, or, um, for your mansion. There's no such a thing. The, the word mansion has really confused a lot of people. This is the word for rooms. So you, you're not going to be to do, down the street and are out of town or off below the tracks, you're going to be in the Father's house. Amen? Yes. Right? And this is a family, and you're going to be in the Father's house, one house with many, many rooms. So the idea here is he's preparing a permanent place for you. Just think about that for a moment. You have a permanent place in heaven. You'll, no one will be homeless. When life falls in, when troubles assail us, as they indeed will, we can find comfort and rest for our troubled hearts in the fact that there is an eternal home prepared for you. Amen? I need your help this morning. It's kind of hard to preach. So if I entice you to say amen, I just like you to repeat back. That you're actually agreeing with me. And the word amen is actually the word yes, right? Or you could also say no, <laughs> right? But it's the word yes, right? That's the word yes. So Jesus goes on to say, if it were not so, which is a Jewish side of oath, he's making a promise to all who would believe him for salvation that he is on his, on, he is on, he is in heaven getting a, a room ready for you. On the surface, there seems to be much the same point or a repetition that there is a heavenly home with many rooms in it. But it's not the point, but something more. Jesus was going there because there is work that he's going to do for us once he gets there. When he ascended to heaven in Acts chapter 1, he is going so that he could prepare a place for you. That's why Jesus is in heaven. Not only interceding for us, but preparing for us a home. Amen? That's all. That's so awesome. Well, hopefully, that's not the last one. <laughs> but in Revelation 21, I saw a new heaven and new earth. For the first heaven, the first earth had passed away; the sea was no more. There's no more division. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne, saying, "Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man." He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. In Revelation 21, verse 5, it says, I will make everything new. This is where the Father's house is. It's located at the new heaven. After judgment before the white throne, God will usher in our new room in, in our Father's house. In verse 16 of, of 
of Revelation, John tells us that the capital city alone is 1,400 miles cubed. An Australian engineer, Thomas, calculated that 1,400 miles cubed would be 2.25 million square miles. And to give you a comparison, London is 140 square miles. So he estimated that it could hold easily a billion people. You know, it's fun to make calculations, but remember that the new heaven and new earth are infinite. If you ever decorated a room for someone special, you know what it was to make a room suit one particular personality. If it is a daughter, you make the room pretty. You hang up her pictures or her hobbies. If it's a son, the room might have airplanes or model cars. If it is, a, it is for a grandma, the room might have her favorite books. Are, are we to think that Jesus will take less care for us, whom he loves, who are to spend eternity with him in this room. You know, when we watch like shows like HGTV and, and they take a trashy home and, and they make it look so beautiful and, and they do the big reveal. You guys see that? Right? They do a big reveal and, and everybody goes like this. Whoa, 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 right? And I just imagine something like that in heaven, in our rooms. So he will show us in this room and, and all we can say is, wow. Wow. It's so personal. Next, I want us to focus on the phrase for you, meaning a promise that in the, that the great house of our Father, there's a place being prepared particularly for you. You know, for a moment, I just stopped there, and I just kind of said, God, I just want to say thank you for me. And, and, and yet, and I think about my sinfulness, and and in my, my inconsistent life as a Christian, why do I deserve this? And God's response, because I'm gracious. Because I'm kind. Because I love you. And, and I love you so much that I will decorate it personally for you. Because I know you by name. Sit on that just for a moment. God loves you so much that he is preparing a place for you. Our, our loved ones' spirit who have died in, in Christ have gone to a place where we will be reunited with them. A very personal touch of compassion because he speaks of his personal return for us. My prayer is that this verse gives us great comfort who have lost loved ones, which Christ made possible by his death, resurrection, ascension, that they are not dead, that dead does not have the last word. C.S. Lewis calls this the inconsolable longing. The, he, Lewis said, there has been times when I think I do not desire heaven, but more often I find myself wondering whether in my heart of hearts I have ever desired anything else. Lewis goes on to say, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. We have a desire to live with Christ. We see this in the utopian political philosophies, Marxism, that though it thrives on economic woe and injustice, but at its core, it feeds on a longing for heaven. I love how Randy Alcorn says this in his book. If, if there is a book you need to pick up, it's, it's Heaven by Randy Alcorn. He says, nothing is more often misdiagnosed than our homesickness for heaven. We think that we want sex, drugs, alcohol, a new job, a raise, a doctorate, a spouse, a large screen television, a new car, a cabin in the woods, a condo in Hawaii. What we really want is the person we were made for. Jesus and that place we were made for, heaven, and nothing less can satisfy us. Amen. The, the apostle Paul tells us how his unsatisfied longing for heaven, because he had an advantage for this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he says, I was caught up in the third heaven 14 years ago. Whether I was in my body or out of my body, I don't know. Only God knows. Yes, only God knows whether I was in my body or outside my body, but I do not know that I was caught up to paradise and heard things so astounding that they cannot be expressed in words, things no human is allowed to tell. And I just look at that part and I say, God, 
this place that you have prepared for me is so outstanding that it cannot be expressed by words. He did not know if it was a vision or it was a literal physical experience, but somehow he was caught up into paradise, and there he saw a heavenly home. There, it is a real place for him, and it should be a real place for us. In, in Ephesians 2, 6, I, I love this when he says that Christ seated us in, with Christ in the heavenly place. Actually, the book of Revelation tells us that one day those who are victorious will sit with him in his throne. In Philippians 3.20, tells us that his citizenship is in heaven. It was that reality that made him such a warrior. You know, most of us look at citizenship in America as a privilege, and it is. Um, but this is not our citizenship. You're not an American. Oh, I mean, yes, you are, but you're not. You, you are a Christian. You are a Christian. That's what you are. If you want to know who you are, would you turn your Bibles with me to 1 Peter chapter 2? Uh, just want to get started in verse 9 and read this for you. 1 Peter chapter 2. Man, I love, I love uh, the sound of pages. Uh, you know, I love this on the pages. You know, this scrolling around, you can't hear anything. You know, but here it is in verse 9. But you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people for his own possession. And, and look at verse 10. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And then he tells us who we are in this world in verse 11. He says, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. That's who we are. We're aliens. We're sojourners. We're exiles. We don't belong to this world. Nothing in this world should ever have a hold on us. Matthew chapter 6, 19, 20, 21 says, don't lay up any treasures here on earth because you're not part of this earth. So, so, yeah, you save all your stuff, and yet you can't take any of your stuff with you. You can't lay it up. Why? Because you're not part of this world. And, 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 and then Peter goes on to say, this is what I want you to do. I urge you to abstain from passions of the flesh, this world which wage wars against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak, Speak against you as evildoers. They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the devastation. And then going back to verse 10, he goes on to say that my people, my chosen race, will proclaim the excellence of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I want you to read what Randy Alcorn said. He said this, the best of life on earth is a glimpse of heaven. The worst of life is a glimpse of hell. For Christians, this present life is the closest they will come to hell. For unbelievers, it's the closest they will come into heaven. This is the worst for us. Because there's so much greater. Amen? Number two, believe that Jesus is coming to take you to be with him. Look at verse 3b. I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am you may be also. At times it's hard to have relief for our troubled hearts living in our fallen world. But Jesus promised that he is going to take us to the Father's house so that we can be intimately with him. Jesus is going to be ours. The use of the present tense of the verb, I will come again. I will take you. In the New Testament, there are 300 allusions or direct reference to the fact that the Lord is going to return to take us to be with him personally. We're going to see him face to face. Just the thought of this makes you what? Sad or excited? I, 
excited, right? I was waiting for that because I was like getting worried about you. Right? I was really getting worried. In 1 John 3, 2, uh, wow, this passage is Rock my world this week. He said, Beloved, we are God's children now. That's who you are. Positionally, you are God's children now. What we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. God said, I will come again. I will take you. So when I appear, you shall be like me. We shall see him as he is. Exciting? Amen. Absolutely. First of all, John tells us, who we are exactly as children of God, but that's only the beginning. He goes on to say that we will see him, the Christ, and seeing him because becomes like him. Just think about that for a moment. You will become like him. Talking about heaven is exciting, and we should be, but Jesus wants us to be excited about being with him first. Being with him first is what heaven is about. Being with Jesus is in face-to-face fellowship for all eternity is what will make heaven so heavenly. I was thinking about Lisa this morning, and um, I was thinking, wow. What would it feel like to be face-to-face fellowship with the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the creator of the universe? All the beauty of heaven is just really a backdrop, the scenery of, for your eternal relationship with Christ. The central thing about heaven is you and your Savior hand in hand in eternity. That is the central thing of heaven. After leaving, after I lived for Hawaii for a bit and, and experienced this natural beauty where the water is beautiful and, and the weather is perfect. Not too hot, not too cool where I live. And when, even when it rained, it was like a mist falling through the sunshine, a real paradise. Uh, but as beautiful as Hawaii was, I was single. Uh, the joy of being in paradise is better with somebody you love. After we got married, Olivia and I spent a week in, in Maui. And, and what made it special for me was just not walking the beach, but walking the beach hand in hand with uh, the most important earth for me. Uh, my wife, who looks like the pioneer woman this morning, <laughs> but uh, but important person on earth to me, okay? And, and the beauty of, of Maui was just a backdrop of the pursuit of our love relation. That is what God is doing in heaven. He is preparing a place for you where you and your Savior can be together forever. Can you just let that sit for a moment? Are you getting the idea yet that heaven is going to be a wonderful place because it's because we will be with a wonderful person? Amen. Oh, could you echo Jeff for a moment? Amen. <laughs> Thank you. Brother, without you, this will be a funeral. <laughs> but it, it was not so with, with the Thessalonians uh, who had witnessed a lack of hope. Uh, and they had a question for Paul uh, in 1 Thessalonians 4. They were expecting the return of Christ at any time, but what about their loved ones who had died and trusted in him? What about them? Would their deaths be delayed? Would those who were alive when we have advantage have advantage over those who have died? That was their question. So in 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul answered their question by giving them the solution to their grief by removing their ignorance and, and providing hope. You know, I, I wish I could unpack uh, this two rapture passage com- and compared John 14 with 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, but there's, I can't do that this morning. But so I just want to read to you this passage in, in verse 13. And now, Paul says, Dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers uh, who have died. So you will not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. And Paul says, comfort them with this hope, which in turn will reduce their grief. After assuring the believers in Thessalonica of the reality of a resurrection, in verse 18, he gives them a further assurance with which he tells them, encourage one another that this is not the end for those who have died before us in Christ. 
In, in verse 15, we tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living, when the Lord returns, will not meet him ahead of those who have died. So what will happen is those people who have died, right, who are in their graves, they will be resurrected with the spirit that they have right now in heaven. So just as Jesus died only to rise again and be with God, so would all who have believed that his return is imminent. And I believe this. He provides a, a number of details that his return won't go unnoticed. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven and with a commanding shout and with the voice of the archangel and with a trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. So those who have died, whose soul and spirit are in the Lord, kept by his power, will be resurrected with their body here on earth and have a spiritual body. Um, and those who are still alive during that time will be also glorified. Uh, you know, this scared me this morning as I was in my office and I was just reviewing passages and passages about what God wants me to speak this morning. And, and I just want you to tell you that do you know, this one, I'm not scaring you at all, I, or, or I am maybe scaring you and be scared. <laughs> and I want to tell you this. Do you know that we could hear this trumpet sound right now? Amen. At this moment. You know that we could hear this call right now. Do you know that at this moment, we could be reunited with our loved one? This moment. Are you ready? You ready for that? Or are you still worried about what you're going to leave behind? Right now, at this moment, we could hear this trumpet sound. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. And, be, and we could be with the Lord in heaven. That's what could happen today, tonight, tomorrow. It can happen. Are you ready? And then verse 17 says, Then together with them we who are still alive and remain on earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. Awesome, isn't it? Be with the Lord for how long? Forever. The thing I love about this is that it can happen at any time. The absence of any reference to judgment implies here in First Thessalonians that the Lord is not referring here to second coming, to his um, to the to rapture, but to his second coming, um, because it's telling me he will judge uh, and establish his kingdom, right? But but in the rapture, the, the believers will be caught up together with him in heaven. You see, the second coming in Matthew twenty-four, the angels will gather the elect. Uh, right now, Jesus will take the elect and then we'll return with Christ. So we will go to Christ at the second coming. We will come down with Christ as he sets up his earthly kingdom. So between the rapture and the second coming, the church will celebrate the marriage supper of the Lamb and receive their rewards. Uh, again, don't have the time to unpack all that. So when everything is ready, Jesus will come back and get them. He will take them to his house where they will be finally together. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I just want to give you a summary of what this is. Um, Paul says, you know, I've, I've lived for my Lord, and, and I'm, I'm ready to go home with him. And, and my body groans, and, and, and I have this, this yearning in my heart to be at home with the Lord. So when you look at verse 6 and verse 8, so he said, be of great courage. Because being away from, from the Lord, being away from the Lord is, is what hurts my heart. And so I want to ask you, what hurts your heart? Do, do you miss what it means to be home? Sometimes uh, we get so comfortable here on earth. Right? How many of you guys here got a little bit comfortable here on earth? Right? And, and sometimes forget that this is not our home. We can't get comfortable here because we don't belong here. It should not feel good to live here. I mean, let me just ask you, how many of you guys here just want to stop sinning? Amen. How many of you guys here just want to stop this, this sin thing? Right? And the only way it will happen is death. And then be resurrected with him in heaven. Sometimes we look at this world around us and wonder, is that all there is? 
To which Paul answered a resounding no. We are made for something better than the sadness we see in this fallen and broken world. We are made for a new life and a new body and a new existence with the Lord. God himself has made us for this very purpose. Our future does not hang on our own desire, but on the eternal purposes of God who called us to be his children. We are saved by an eternal love that will not let us go. Not even death can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. His love for you and your love for me is unfailing. Amen? Here then is a hopeful thought for anyone who has buried a loved one who died in the Lord. How do we know that we will see them again? His first answer is that God raised his own son from the dead. That's the reason. This is the objective ground which God raised his own son from the dead. If God would not leave his son in the grave, he will not abandon us, any of us also. Death cannot win in the end. Paul gives a second answer in verse 5. Paul gave us his, the spirit in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 5 as a deposit, down payment. When you buy a house, you put some money down, which is a small amount that legally binds you to pay the whole amount later. That's what God has done through the Holy Spirit who is inside of us for a future resurrection. Jesus says, I will raise from the dead all who have trusted in my son. God signed this on a dotted line. It, it is as good as done. It's going to happen. You, you can take it to the bank. The Holy Spirit that lives inside of you is a proof of the fact that we belong to God for all eternity. What should this truth do for us today? I think primarily it changes the way we look at death. We're going from the land of the living to the land. See, we're not going from the land of the living to the land of the dying. Actually, we're going to the land of the dying right here to the land of the living. But, but the requirement is that you got to die first. No death, no resurrection. And let's, the Lord comes very soon, and I think he will. And I hope he does. That will be the way for most of us. We'll end our earthly journey. Somehow, somehow, someday, we'll die. Whoever is around and at the moment will take us to the mortuary where the undertaker will uh, do what he does to prep us for burial. But we're still dead. Then they will take us in our service where people will hopefully say nice words and say how much he will we miss, sing a bit, pray, and then the box will close and we'll be placed in the ground and we're all going to do some box time eventually. But you see, the man who wrote this wonderful passage in 2 Corinthians 5 returned to the dust of the earth a few years later and this is what he said, for to me, living means living for Christ and dying is even better. Believers die every day, but thank God that does not have the last word. If you have a loved one who died in Christ, go out to the grave and, and have a little talk. Maybe, maybe it's your grandfather who loved the Lord and is now buried in the grave. Go out there and say this with confidence. Grandpa, I, I miss you. I'm glad you are with the Lord right now, but I want you to know that God is not finished with me yet. He's still got some work for me to do. The Puritan writer Thomas Watson beautifully said, We are more sure to arise out of our graves than out of our beds. Oh, how precious is the dust of a believer. Death will not have the last word, for Jesus has conquered the grave. Because he rose, we too shall rise. In that faith, we take courage to live for Christ with reckless abandon, because death is not the end of our story. Last point. Believe that Jesus is the only way to the Father's house. Verse 4, you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus has been very clear that he was returning to the Father, and he expected them to know where the way, where he was going. By this moment, at this night, their minds were so rattled that they were not sure of anything. They should have known where he was going. He told them plenty of times, and they should have known how to get there. But their knowledge stopped at death. They had no firsthand experience of what lay behind the grave. They were so bewildered that they didn't get it, but they will. And I want you to get it as well. Thomas spoke for all of them in verse 5 because they had no idea what Jesus was talking about, whether Capernaum, Jerusalem, or Nazareth or heaven. If they didn't know that Jesus, how could they possibly know how to get there since there was no road that they know which would take them to the Father's house? 
in John chapter 13, verse 33 and 36, it says, Dear children, I will be with you only a little longer. And as I told the Jewish leaders, you will search for me, but you can't come where I'm going. Simon Peter asked, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, you can't go with me now, but you will follow me later. You know, as Christians living right now, this is exactly what Jesus is telling us. You can't go with me right now, but you will follow me later. I'm so glad that that passage ends, but you will follow me later. Instead of just, it ended with, you can't go with me. <laughs> I was like looking at that. Thank you, God. <laughs> I was like this. What if that verse stopped at, you can't go with me? <laughs> Forget preaching. <laughs> Forget church. But Jesus said, but you will follow me later. Amen. Clearly, they did not know where he was going. How could they know the way? Jesus, in verse 6, gave them a very strange answer by informing that he was the only way. He alone is the way to God. There's no way to go. <laughs> this is the only way. In John chapter 10, verse 7 through 9, and he explained it to them, I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate, and those who come in through me will be saved. How many of you guys are here have done that? How many of you guys have come to that gate? Amen? How many of you guys have come to that gate? Amen. You come to that gate? And God said, they will come and go freely and will find what? Good pastures. In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. The name Jesus is the Greek version of the Hebrew name Joshua, which means the Lord saves. Jesus' name then speaks to who he was, what he has done, and what he can do. Salvation from sin, death, and hell is found in him alone. In 1 Timothy 2.5 makes it very clear there's one God, one mediator, also between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. God may only be approached exclusively through his son. Exclusively. This is the only way. He alone is the door of the sheep and only through him that one can be saved. The word truth flows through all of John's gospel. In his first identification of it in verse 1 through 14, the word became human and lived among us. We saw his glory. It was the glory of the Father that shares with his only son, a glory full of grace and truth. He just did not speak truth, but he's the embodiment of truth. There was no falseness in him. He can never lie. In his debates with the Pharisee, he said, so when I tell the truth, you just naturally don't believe me. Which of you can truthfully accuse me of sin? And since I'm telling you the truth, why don't you believe me? Anyone who belongs to God listens gladly to the words of God, but you don't listen because you don't belong to God. And then he goes on to say in Luke 9.25, This is my son who I'm well pleased. Listen to him. That's what he says. Because he holds the truth. And the truth is, there is no other way to heaven but through Jesus. Amen. Here Jesus was speaking to his own, telling them that they were aware of the truth. They already had the answers. So despite the world's denials of Jesus, his truth remains unchanged. People can reject all the words of the Bible, yet they remain ever true. All that has been ordained will come true. Secure our place in God's family, as David said, Surely goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Will you repeat that with me? And I will. And I will. Live in the house of the Lord forever. Amen? Jesus also wants, also was life. 
That means he killed death. Jesus met Martha on his way to Bethany. He knew that Lazarus had died. Yet in the face of this ultimate finality, Jesus told Martha this in John 11. I am the resurrection and life. And anyone who believes in me as the only way, truth, and life will live even after dying. And everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you guys get that? Will never, ever die. Now, I'll ask you the same thing Jesus asked Martha. Do you believe this? This you cannot get wrong. Absolutely. Get wrong with many things. You can't get this one wrong. You can't afford it. The disciples had heard these words and witnessed the most astounding event in Jesus' entire ministry as Lazarus walked from the darkness of his tomb into the light of day. That is the power of God. In closing, ever since the day of, of the cross, Christians have rejoiced that Jesus is preparing a room for each of us in the Father's home. We look at this world with all the joys and the beauty as well as its hate and anger. And we look forward to the time when Jesus will return to take us to our eternal home. There will be a home. We will live forever with the one that we call our friend, our Savior, and Lord, and his name is Jesus. Jesus confirmed that this was the only roadway to the Father. If Jesus is everything John told us, then there was only one way to get to the Father. That way was through His Son. At Calvary's cross, Christ reached out His arms around you and hovered over us even to the point of death. He did not come down from the cross, so He will forever bear the scars that kept us from enduring the, the hail of God's retribution against us and sin. Randy Alcorn said, in heaven to look into God's eyes will be to see what we have always longed to see. The person who made us for his own good pleasure. Seeing God will be like seeing everything else for the first time. So when we run into Christ at the corner of Gold Street and, and Silver Boulevard, we finally will have an eternal sense of love, Gratitude, glory, and excitement because those scars have our names on them. As Isaiah said in chapter 53, but he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be whole. He was swept so we could be healed. Again, Randy Alcorn said, the cause of redemption cannot be overstated. The wonders of this grace cannot be overemphasized. Christ took the hell he didn't deserve so we could have the heaven we don't deserve. Amen. You know, if there's a book, please pick up the book of heaven by Randy Alcorn. The more I think about Lisa, the more I wish I could experience some of what Lisa's experiencing right now in heaven. I, I like to close our service this morning by comparing our anticipation of heaven to the story of Cinderella. She had to live with a wicked stepmother and stepsister. But the day she went to the ball, she met the prince. And even though she had to go back to her hard existence for a while, her life was never the same because her prince didn't forget about her. He came one day and took her away to his castle to be his bride. Right now, you and I have to live with a wicked stepmother called the devil, the wicked stepsister called demons, Sometimes our lives can be hard because we are living under the curse of sin in this broken and fallen world. But God wants you to remember that even while you are ironing clothes and scrubbing floors, the Prince of Peace, the King of Heaven, our friend, our brother, the Prince of Heaven, Jesus is coming back to get you someday 
and to take you to be with him forever. That's heaven, and it's going to be glorious. Revelation 22, verse 20 says, He who testifies to this thing says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, uh, we are so uh, humbled that not only that you save us from our sin and death, but you also ascended to heaven to prepare a place for us. That where you are, we will be forever. God, we just confess to you um, that more than we would like to admit that we have been um, so comfortable in this world and even in, and for many in love with this world and, and the things of this world and things that don't matter in this world. I would think about our wealth and our house and our cars and our, and our body and, and yet those are the things that we worship. And yet, God, this is not what you save us from. You save us for something greater and something glorious and something amazing. So, Father, I pray this morning that we will keep our focus on Christ, on the things above and not on the things below. God, help us, O oh Lord, to set our minds and our hearts on the things above where you are. God, we are tired of this world. God, I am tired of sinning. God, I am tired of this broken and, and I hate death, God. And yet, Lord, we, we live in hope. And God, as John says, come, Lord Jesus. Come. In Jesus' name, amen.